0: I have been to a lot of church services and synagogue services, at least one Hindu gathering, a Mormon prayer circle. I think I might be a little bit of a religious addict. Actually, it's not really my fault. Since childhood, I have found myself in situations where attendance at many and varied religious gatherings is simply part of what's expected of me. From a Sunday school class called The Church Next Door, where we visited houses of worship all around the city, to a seat on the multi-faith council in college, to requirements in seminary to attend a variety of different kinds of services, it's been hard for me to escape religious gatherings. And in case you haven't caught on yet, I don't really want to. The thing is, I love religious community. And what I love best about it is its gathering, its coming together weekly. This. As a teenager in a Unitarian Universalist congregation, I actually stopped going to teen group, which met on Sunday mornings and for some reason involved a lot of melting crayons into big multicolored candles. Because what I really wanted to do was go to church, to be downstairs with the adults and the minister and the music, listening and singing and being quiet together. It turned out I also wanted to actually be speaking rather a lot, hence the journey towards seminary, but that's a separate platform. (laughs) Even more than just liking it, I actually think it's the gathering we do that is the basis of religious community. I remember a sociology of religion course I took that hypothesized that religion began not to explain how the world was, although that may be the reason for many of religion's stories and myths, and not to create tribal kinship networks, although that's certainly an aspect of what religion became, but simply because people came together and felt in their gathered presence something out of the ordinary, something they didn't experience on their own, something they didn't experience every day. Gathered here in the mystery of the hour, gathered here in one strong body, gathered here in the struggle and the power Spirit draw near. Whoops. What the heck, spirit, are we talking about? Has Amanda temporarily lost her mind and forgotten we're a humanist congregation here? We can't even agree on what to call this hour we're gathered together in. No way we want to start inviting some kind of spirit to join us. Sometimes I wonder if these two things aren't linked. Our unsureness about what to call our time together and our unsureness about what kind of spirit might be here. Because believe me, there is some spirit here, some spirit of common hopes, some spirit of shared understanding. Sometimes there's a spirit of confusion as when we can't get the projector lined up or no one really understands what I'm talking about. Sometimes there's a spirit, it happens, it's okay, you can laugh. Sometimes there's a spirit of grief as at our Remembrance Day platform last week, and sometimes a spirit of celebration. But there's a spirit. Actually, let's talk for just a moment about that spirit of celebration. This morning begins our theme of celebration, one that we'll examine as a congregation together and that our children will focus their learning on for all of November and December. Our congregational themes are usually just a month long, but we thought this one deserved a little more time celebration, rejoicing together, partying together, being together, is so central to our life as a community. And often we do it really well. Perhaps not coincidentally, the times when we do it absolutely the best, I think, are times when we know just what to call what we're doing. We are lucky to have here a rich liturgical year, that is a year full of particular, usually seasonal markers for our life together. Remembrance Day was last Sunday. Coming up in a couple of weeks is Stone Soup Sunday, then Winter Festival, then our annual celebrations of Martin Luther King Day and Pay Attention to Love Day. The seasons continue on, and through it all we celebrate with purpose, shaping each year the nuances of what the celebration means to us this time around, but clear about its broader context and about what particular spirit of joy or of remembrance or of community we might be creating together. Many of these ceremonies and special celebrations date back to Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, while others were created within this congregation, often lovingly nurtured by Mary, my fellow clergy leader. In fact, you'll hear Mary from Mary about these special celebrations and their meaning for us at the beginning of December when she speaks on our shared theme. But today I want to talk about our celebrations on the in-between Sundays, our celebrations not at the peaks of the year, but in ordinary time. I have always loved that phrase, ordinary time. It has a specific meaning within a Christian context. It refers to do two different times of the year, after Christmas and after Pentecost, essentially times of the year that are not part of the Advent season or the Lent and Easter season. They're just plain old ordinary time, but they are still vital to the course of the liturgical year. The Christian year, like ours, and like almost all religious communities' years, is divided into sections with key celebrations marking moments in the year and, for Christians, moments in the story of the life of Jesus. The year then offers a cycle of remembering and retelling the story, both through the big celebrations and through the ordinary time. Jewish communities have a similar cycle of the year, as they remember and retell the story of the Jewish people by reading through the Torah. Just about a month ago, Jews celebrated the holiday of Simchat Torah, where they mark the conclusion of the year-long cycle of Torah readings and begin the cycle anew. There's actually a technical term for this remembering in the Christian tradition, for the way the retelling of story is central to religious experience. I learned it in a class in seminary on corporate worship, which means how people worship together, not how IBM worships, a common misunderstanding. (laughs) And I loved the sound of it. Anamnesis. It's most specifically about communion, anamnesis, about how the act of receiving communion is a remembering of Jesus' words at the Last Supper And more than that, a reliving, an entering of one's own self into that story. By participating in communion, Christians are participating in a recreation of one of the most important parts of their story. And for that reason, communion is central to so many Christian worship services. The music, the prayers, the sermon, they're all part of the experience too, but the deepest part of the gathering, at least as my seminary professors would tell it, is the recreation, the reliving together of the story of their shared religious tradition. Well, great, you may be saying. Now, when I visit a Christian church, I'll have more understanding of what's going on, but what does this have to do with me? That was my question, too, when I first started seminary, flooded with information about Christian worship. It was, after all, a Christian seminary, and I was a guest within that context. I needed some understanding of what I had been doing all my life, what gathering together was about within my own context. Enter a class on Unitarian Universalist worship. Now before I go on, I want to talk a little bit about that pesky word, worship. It's not one that's in regular use here at West. Actually, I think I would say it's not in use at all here at West, (laughs) and I can understand why. It's laden with all kind of particular significance, most with the idea that if we are worshiping together, we are worshiping something, that there must be an object of our worship. And I respect that experience of the word, that within a non-theistic, humanistic community, that is, a community that leaves questions of God belief up to the individual and instead focuses on human experience and ethics, that the word simply doesn't fit for many of us. But, there is a but, you knew I wasn't going to leave it right there, right? (laughs) So I want to do a tiny bit of teaching around the word, at least as I understood it growing up. I grew up in a Unitarian Universalist congregation in upstate New York, a congregation that has been rooted in the humanist tradition for many years and is still... Because of the arc of history that has led to modern Unitarian Universalism, many of its congregations continue to use some words that are common in the Protestant lexicon, and worship is one of them. I should add a note that, like any good religious liberals, Unitarian Universalists can't ever all agree on anything. So not all Unitarian Universalists use that word, but many do. As I grew up, and as I understand the word now, Worship in a religious context isn't about whether or not there's something that you're worshiping. That feels more to me like the popular context, as in, I just worship the ground she walks on. In the religious context, I was taught that worship's meaning came from its origin, Old English and Saxon words that mean to shape worth. The Unitarian Universalist minister Paul Beadle writes, The meanings of worth suggest, I'm quoting, suggest the purpose of worshiping, to come to be equal to or to turn toward the highest or best values, end quote. Now that worth shaping does feel very much like what we do on Sunday morning. Actually, ethical culture founder Felix Adler wrote about the word worship in his book, An Ethical Philosophy of Life, saying, quote, can worship be offered to the members of a holy community rather than an, in homage to a supreme individual? In a certain sense, he went on, one might say yes, preeminently so, since worship may be taken to mean worthship, and the worth intrinsic in our fellow men is the object of our unceasing homage, end quote. Now don't worry, you can all exhale. I'm not trying to institute a language change here at Wes. Just as important as a word's origins is our experience of the word now, and certainly over time this word has become quite layered in popular culture and in the religious imagination. I hope that the dictionary lesson has cracked open for you a tiny bit the possible meanings and begun to be to explain why for many people and for me that word is a powerful one and a true one. Now how did I get on this tangent? I was talking about a class I took on Unitarian Universalist worship, and I wanted to tell you about a particular thinker within that tradition who is seen in many ways as one of the definitive writers about the liberal religious Sunday morning experience. And do you know what's so convenient for us? He didn't call it worship. (laughs) Von Ogden Watt, a Unitarian Universalist minister who served and wrote in the 1930s and 40s, called the Sunday morning gathering a celebration of life. He believed that the celebration should follow a particular form, one that he designed to take advantage of the psychological experience of coming together, looking inward, and preparing to move back into the world. Often described as a five act drama, Vought's ideal celebration of life has been expressed in this way Act one, attention, vision. We state and affirm our ideals and aspirations. Act two, Humility, we are humbled by the realization that we fall short of our ideals. Act three, exaltation, we regain our strength, feel empowered, give thanks. Act four, illumination, we consider wisdom from the past and present. Act five, dedication, we reaffirm our ideas and resolve to act responsibly. Of course, liberal religious understanding of the shape of the Sunday morning gathering has evolved since Vaught's time, and my own understanding has evolved since the time I first read Vaught in school. I've been informed by Felix Adler's understanding of the Sunday morning experience, quite similar, actually, to Vaught's. He felt the gathering should include, and I quote, public addresses by teachers, that would be me, having for their main subject to arouse or intensify a certain kind of spiritual distress and then as far as possible to appease it. (laughs) (laughs) Then specific ethical ideals of life which may be used as public readings along with, our chorus will be glad to know, expression in song, and in responsive services. In summation, Adler wrote, quote, the addresses that awaken and appease spiritual pain, the presentations of the various modes of right living, the songs that lift the individual above his private self and help him to live, not indeed submerged, but rather spiritually accentuated in the life of the whole. These are the public manifestations of ethical religion as I see them. For Adler, as for Vaught, the Sunday morning experience followed a certain form, a form intended to reach us in that moment and to help us live more fully the rest of our lives. I still remember my sense of excitement when I first read Vatt's theory, when I saw that someone had taken seriously the act of coming together for those of us who aren't Christian, those of us who aren't Jewish, those of us within what might be called a non-traditional religious tradition. Because I will tell you something, I take our coming together very seriously. This hour we have together, this isn't just some way for me to fill up space. I like to think that something is happening here, that we are doing something together. One way I often describe our time is that we are having a conversation, one that I begin with the platform that includes the voices of the meditation and the music that continues with our community sharing time and I hope out into the social hour and the week ahead. In my mind, the best Sunday mornings, the times when I feel I have really done something right aren't necessarily the platforms where everybody compliments me on how great it was as they head out the door. They're the ones where people linger afterward to tell me they loved it or they didn't, that it got them thinking. They're the ones where people send me articles to consider beforehand and write me emails later, adding to my thoughts and arguing with me and talking with each other. That's what Sunday is about for me. As I reflect on this, I'm aware that these Sunday morning experiences I'm talking about are strongly skewed toward the new, toward new understanding, new conversation. That's appropriate, I think, in a religious community that values each individual's experience and that believes deeply in the importance of learning and growing together, asking questions and seeking answers. But it does have me wondering whether we have any kind of anamnesis in our life together, if there's any place for remembrance and retelling, recreation of our story on Sunday morning. If the Christian understanding of anamnesis focuses on the act of communion, I've sometimes thought that our own version might be found in our greeting of each other. We sometimes say we are a religion of relationships, and so I wonder if our central story is in some ways our meeting our forming of those relationships. When we greet each other on Sunday mornings, we say hello to visitors, but also to old friends, to those we serve with every week on committees and teams and those we haven't seen in months. We aren't exactly introducing ourselves to each other, although that's what it might look like. We are, perhaps, remembering that we know each other, remembering that we are a people together telling the story of our connection. Just as Kacha did this morning in our children's story, a celebration of ordinary people in ordinary time making extraordinary connections and retelling the story of that connection in their letters to each other. So if our greeting each other is our anamnesis, our re-entry into the story of relationships, What is this whole thing that we're doing here? Well, this must be the year of the quote above the stage for me. I think this is the third platform I've mentioned it in so far, and we're only in November. (laughs) But I really think Adler had it right. Where people meet. See, we have to start by meeting, by reconnecting. To seek the highest. That's the part about exploration, the learning and growing and arguing and thinking with each other is holy ground. Now, I don't expect you all to start saying you're going to holy ground on Sunday. Can you hear it? Sorry, Joe, I can't do breakfast. I'll be at holy ground in the morning. Can we meet for brunch afterward? But I do truly believe that's what we're creating here or maybe what we're noticing. Maybe the holy ground is always available to us. And it's by our meeting and seeking our highest values that we become aware of it, that we become aware of the exceptional nature of life. I try to close my platforms with some pithy phrase or inspiring words. This morning I want to close in the way we usually begin our Sunday mornings, with our greeting of each other. I want to invite you to turn to each other and say hello, and in so doing, to recreate the relationships we have with each other, to retell the story of our connection. Because I think it's possible that this moment, this very simple act of greeting, is exactly what we are here to do. So friends, say hello to each other.